I love to sing. I love the feeling of singing. I love when we're warmed up and we're singing. I, of course, want people to come and see our band and enjoy it, but I'm more interested in us sounding good and playing well than a bunch of people being there. Welcome to Curious Goldfish, a podcast community where music and curiosity come together through interesting conversations with the music makers of our world. I'm your host, Jason English. You can find Curious Goldfish in all the major podcasts and social media platforms. And of course, we have all of our content on our website, CuriousGoldfish.com. In today's episode, I sat down with Atlanta musician Bradley Cole Smith and his musical partner, Nelson Nolan. Bradley was nice enough to host me in the music room of his home, and I couldn't have asked for a more authentic conversation for the new year. Bradley and Nelson are just really good guys who love making music and love making music together. We touched on a variety of topics, and they played a couple of tunes, including a brand new one. Bradley tells me he intends to get more music out this year. So that's going to be great. Here's Bradley Cole Smith and Nelson Nolan. Let's dive in. Thanks for joining. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate your time. So it's the start of the year. Do you guys have any resolutions? You already cleaned your house. Yeah, we cleaned our house. We cleaned. We threw away about a third of everything we owned in the last week. I, one of my a musical resol, uh, resolution is to get more music out there. Yeah. It's been a while. I've been working on some songs and it's been really slow and we're just about to finish a new tune that we'll play in a little bit called Atlanta and my goal is to really push that forward and release some music this year. Was Hilltop, the Hilltop EP, was that kind of the last thing you've... That was the last, yeah, that was the last thing we released and that was about five years ago. Yeah, yeah. And we released a couple of singles, Springtime Magnolias and Holding On and that's been a that's been a while over a year and my goal was we started about almost three years ago we started we had six the rhythm tracks for six songs and i was like we're going to release a song a month this year and we've released two so that's the pace right that i move at so do you have a backlog of songs that you've written in in the five years or so that you need to prioritize or is it not, really I'm not, I'm not the most prolific guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm prolific with ideas, but not finishing them. And so, yes, we have a backlog of songs, but, you know, about our record's worth. Got it. I mean, we could make a record pretty easily. Um, not quickly, but we could do it. Not quickly, <laughs> yes. But we did go in the studio recently, last month, and we pretty much knocked out a song in a couple of days, and we're just about done mixing it, and we hope to release it soon. Awesome. And you guys have been collaborating for 23, 24 years now, right? Yes. Give or take? Yes. I I think I met Nelson in about 1989 or so. Yeah. At Georgia, he was playing in a band and came over to play a party. Yeah. And he was dating a girl who was a friend of my brother's. (laughs) And so my brother said, Mary Beth's boyfriend's coming. Oh, to, that's right. Yeah, I knew his brother Glenn to before I knew Bradley, but yeah. I knew he played music. And then it was like whenever they, he had a band and they moved back to Atlanta and I was moving to Atlanta. And uh, 
we kind of got together. I'd go see the band, and I was in playing different bands, and in any way the circumstances made it where we could play together, and it's been really awesome in so many different ways. Right. Yeah. And A you, lot of different projects. You, you stepped in, I think it was over in Alabama, right? One time when Double Wide's guitar player. Oh, well, actually, it was in Atlanta, I think. Was that in Atlanta? No, it was at um, oh, City yeah. Stages. That's right, yeah, yeah. 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 City Stages. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and our guitar player couldn't make it, and so, so Nelson played, and... Uh, yeah, and then he kept playing. <laughs> he has to stop. It, it turned out really well. Yeah, we were. It was fun. It was a great festival that they had for about ten years, right downtown in Birmingham. It was awesome. We had like a Saturday or a Sunday evening set, and Dwight Yoakam was playing yeah. like two people after us. Okay. Tell the story about. So we were there, and there was probably at least eight hundred people out there. Lawn chairs, food trucks. You see the smoke coming, you know, and. There's beer trucks and there are people out there and all this stuff. And Dwight Yoakam's van is out there. There's bus and it was a big stage and all this stuff. And so we were getting ready to start the set. And there was like, I'm saying, 800 people there. I had played a gig the night before and I noticed a bolt rolling around the floor. And I thought my buddy was an idiot and had let his guitar bolt fall off. So it's getting ready to start. And I look. And the thing wasn't there. The input was not there. And I'm like, well, I'm a freaking idiot. And I'm fired as hell. I won't even have one gig with this band. And I look over there, man, and there's this, and there's Dwight Yoakam's guitar tech <laughs> setting up 18 guitars. He goes, big old guy with tats and everything. He weighs me over. I was like, oh. He locks the thing down there and gets it right back. It was like going in a pit lane. Oh, nice. <laughs> Bradley Sinner was always like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like, Yes, it's all good meant to be, but I've never, it's been like, it was like going into a pit lane in Talladega. Yeah, yeah. The guy had it fixed in 10 seconds, and they just, because the thing had just fallen right out anyway. That was the story on that one. But yeah, yeah. anyway, I knew all the tunes, and it was yeah. just, and I knew the guys in the band, and it was yeah. just so fun. It's been a great, fun deal, collaboration. So is it more of a songwriting partnership, or is it kind of a musical partnership the last two decades i typically write the songs what nelson is really great at is once the song adding like a simple great melody with a mandolin or guitar he's really fantastic at doing that and harmonies and, and all that so I, i'll typically write the song and then bring it and then we'll shape it you know and nelson does that with a lot of people around town mm. I, I would say I mean, he, he plays with Michelle Malone and her Canyonland band and played with her for her regular set on New Year's yeah, and Eddie plays with a lot awesome. of people. I, I think we play together mostly. Again. I have referred to Nelson as my whoopee. <laughs> but it, it's fun. It's a fun way for me to do it. Yeah. And if it's something that's natural, it makes it fun. Yeah. And it doesn't make it easy necessarily. But it's something that makes sense. If there's a skill set, right. that would be something mine because it's totally different from Bradley. So it, it's a comp yeah. complementary partnership. And you've said in the past too, like the collaboration and the teaming, that's everything to you. It really is. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, and when particularly next week, we're going down to the 38 Songwriters Festival and, right. and I see a lot of people down there who, one person I can think of who is fantastic by themselves is Elliot Bronson, who's a, who lives here. Right and is a great singer-songwriter, and I, I really don't love to play by myself. So I can do it, but I love playing with Nelson, and that's most of what I do is as a duo with Nelson. He is your We have a full band, but I prefer, you know, that's where we're most comfortable yeah. these days. Well, so back to songwriting. Every artist is different. 
it, it seems like the work that you've put out, it's not full of a ton of anxiousness and anxiety and depression and breakups and things like that. It's generally positive. Is that fair? And is that intentional? I hope that's how it comes across because it's evolved. I I played in a band called Double Wide from 91 through about 97, and we toured around. And we're having a reunion show at Smith's Old Bar on February 2nd, and I was listening to some of the old songs the other day, and some of them have some desperate lyrics. (laughs) I was listening to one that was going on, second record that never made it out the other day, and the lyrics, I just thought, oh, man, good Lord, what... Where was I? So I try to do that. I, tr- you know, I think peace and love is the is the best. Run toward the light, you know. <laughs> and but if left to my own devices, I, I was at a New Year's party the other night, and I took my guitar over there and, right. and played some songs. And people were requesting songs, and then they said, "What do you want to play?" And I said, "Oh, if left to my own devices, it's so depressing. <laughs> like slow, I will kill this room if left to my own devices, unless I think about, you know, I mean." Interesting. People want to hear more upbeat stuff, but yeah. I, I try. I try these days to look on the positive side, and I, I want to write a good melody, right. and I want people to feel it. You know. So one of the, one of your songs that's I think is pretty positive is "Springtime Magnolias." Can I just say I think I could be wrong. I think that's the only song I've ever heard that references the Masters. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to get special permission to? <laughs> include them in the lyrics no no i didn't but i would i don't think most of my songs are based on something that i'm going through or my life but that is autobiographical i mean that is that song wrote itself quickly and i think some of the best ones are the ones that come out quickly is that that about you and your brother it's it's about my my, yes okay it's about my brother and me climbing this Mm. tree that was out in front of my grandparents house and my grandfather we'd go to church every sunday with my family and then we'd go over to my parents house i mean my grandparents house for lunch and my grandfather would sit in his puke pink naga hide chair and watch sporting events and it would be the kentucky derby or the masters or whatever was on a lot of times it was golf and so that just came out but that was really about i mean we'd go climb that tree and half the time we'd fall out and don't you know hit the ground bleeding (laughs) I've only been in Georgia, you know, two or three years now. Springtime is different here in Georgia, right? Uh, Different from Colorado for sure. Yeah. Yes. Just the lush, the lushness, beautiful green, the magnolias. Yeah. It's a whole thing. When I was in college, I I went to University of Georgia and I, I took a winter quarter off and went out to Alta, Utah, and worked at at a ski resort out there and ski bombed around and, and we went but we lived in salt lake city and we went and saw uh driving miss daisy and the, the you know it's just set it's in the springtime in Atlanta. A mile from here yeah and i loved being out in utah but i was crying <laughs> during the movie because all the dogwoods were blooming no, that's good is georgia is that is it has that been in, inspirational for you in terms of songwriting or more about your experiences more experiences i would say i mean i love atlanta and i love living in georgia yeah i love living in colorado but i live here because of friends and family and right history you know and you all started double wide out in colorado i guess can you compare and contrast the music scene in the 90s in colorado you know because i lived in colorado for a bit and it has leftover salmon yeah nathaniel Rateliff. The Lumineers are based out there now, so it's got a pretty good core. But 
again, like Atlanta is kind of ridiculous because of the breadth and depth of the music industry here. What are your thoughts about that experience, you know, 30 years ago versus the last couple decades here? Well, I think we, we moved out to Colorado after graduating because I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And so we moved out there. I moved out there with some friends, a guy named Stuart Marshall, who plays in the band or played in the band Stuart Winfield. They still play occasionally. And a buddy of mine, Hugh White, and we met some people out there and started Double Wide. And we would play five nights a week in Aspen. And then we'd go to Telluride and Boulder and Vail and places like that. And we traveled around. But after a couple of years of that, it's so landlocked out there. It's hard, you know, once you get out of the ski towns, you got to drive a ways to get anywhere. And so we moved back here pretty much for that reason, so we could tour around the southeast. Could we talk about so the transition from double wide to solo, solo artist? What, what was- yeah, I so so this is what I was going to say earlier. We we played in double wide, and we had some member member changes. You know, some things work out. Getting along in a band is hard. And so we had some people who were in the band and left the band or however. And then it just got to the point where I thought consciously I could easily be 40 years old and driving around in a van with these guys. Now I love them. But, you know, I had to think, is this at some point you have to think that? Is this what you want to do? And I love playing music. I don't love the travel that much. And, and so I, we, I kind of pulled out of it and we stopped playing. Right. And I went and I, I got a temp job and I worked for a bank for a couple of years and it was awful. <laughs> it was a, I, I've told my kids, I have two children who are in their teens and I've told them like, knowing what you don't want to do is just important as knowing what you do want to do. And that was a good lesson in what I didn't want to do. And so after doing, being a banker for a while, I stopped doing that and went and back to music and made the record Beggars and Bankers with a guy named Ren Vinson, who played drums on it and produced it and kept playing music. That's neat. What, what is it about the music that drew you back? Banking. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is music to you? You know, what does it mean to you? I, I mean, it's a form of expression and and I love to sing. I love the feeling of singing. And I absolutely love when we're warmed up and we're singing. And it, I, of course, want people to come and see our band and enjoy it. But I'm more interested in us sounding good and playing well than a bunch of people being there. So it's, what's fun for me is when I feel like we're like in it and playing well. And that that's an accomplishment i think so one thing is interesting I, I saw you guys play last month at trader vicks in in atlanta and this is i asked this question out of full respect for you and for all the other artists that are trying to like either make it or get their art out but do you ever have a hard time when you're on stage at a venue like that where you know there's a few dozen people and most of them are having their own conversation you know or do you ever want to put your instrument down and be like won't you listen to me or does that does it not matter it's really i mean even i think if the band sounds good like we'll do the duo or we'll do a three piece with a percussionist uh-huh. or we'll do a four piece or we'll do a whole band or whatever have you for me and i think for Bradley, if we're sounding good you know you're going to draw some attention or at least you'll draw applause or maybe applause at the right moment um in the middle of a song or after a song but 
you know, we understand people need to talk and chatter and stuff like that. And sometimes it's a bug, but a lot of the times when you're on the stage and we're amplified, you don't really hear it so much. Now, something like the songwriters or like Eddie's Attic or Acoustic Show, you know, sometimes it can get to be a bit much. But it, then again, a lot of places are big enough to where right. people that want to listen can be closer and people want to talk and go around the corner or to the bar or whatever. But sure, I mean, that's a thing. Well, I think it's, I'd say it out of admiration because you have to be passionate. Like it has to be something deep inside your soul, Mm -hmm. you know, to do that and not really worry about whether, you know, there's a million people or there's 30,000 people or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we we know what we want to do. And if we're sounding good, that's all that matters to me. And especially because if it's original music that Bradley's written and brought me in, we have ideas and things change sometimes. And sometimes we're trying out different things or how about this? How's the performance? Would I come see this? You know, if I was coming to see, whenever I go to see music, I'm not chattering. Right. I'm watching everything. And I like to get up as close as possible. That's for me. Because even when I was growing up watching music, I wanted to be, even before I was learning how to play, I wanted to be in whatever band I was seeing. And that's what drives me. Yeah. So, so our performance and what we sound, you know, we'll give high fives even if we're the only people that knew that we were good. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I, I recall playing when we lived out in Aspen at a party and thinking, we're not, nobody's listening to us. We're not very good. I messed up. I'm not singing in, you know, that kind of stuff. And I got over that a long time ago. We're, we sound good. And, right. and if we're having fun, that's what counts. And, I, and uh, with regard to the Trader Vic's show, we've been looking for a place for a long time to play regularly, and they've been having us in there once a month. And I love that. That show reminds me of when we played in Aspen, where we'd bring a little PA in and set up in the corner of a crowded bar and, and just play whatever we want to play, whatever we're feeling that night. And sometimes it's all covers, and sometimes it's mostly originals and real deep-cut stuff, and I love it. That's a fun gig. So back to the songwriting and sort of the positivity. So Holding On is a relatively new single that you released a year or two ago. Yep. Is that right? Tell us about that. Is it, what, what's the inspiration for that? Where's, where does, what was the context? That, I mean, honestly, that, the, the inspiration for that is having a Calgon moment, you know, in your life. I mean, sometimes, and, and particularly raising kids, I guess I wrote that when my kids were eight, six, around that age and you know that's hard that can be hard those can be long days and so it, you're holding on while everything's spinning around you know some days to get through life you just gotta look on the bright side and get through it because it's going to change you right know? right i talk to myself about that a lot when you're having a you know you're having a bad day and just wait till tomorrow just get right. through to tomorrow because it's all going to be different did the pandemic change your mindset or adjust you know or give you ideas around lyrics or songs or not really i don't not that i can yeah. not that i can really think yeah. of yeah. i mean it was a slog wasn't it it's we a blur went from probably from like maybe 30 gigs a year regularly you know all stuff we been regular just everything's gonna happen down to four yeah in a year and couldn't see each other couldn't i mean it was a tough one and then rescheduling and all that stuff. Then the next year, there was like 55. <laughs> and I was like, shit, too, yeah. almost too much rescheduled and all that stuff. It was almost, and now it's kind of like getting back to the normal, whether it's a private or, or 
you know, different things. Or, you know, we've been lucky enough to play some great venues and bigger shows and mm-hmm. some destination shows and that kind of thing. So that's been really good. But it's, it's even and out because that was a rough one. Just have four gigs in a year for people I, like us. No, so I can't imagine. That's not yeah. easy. Yeah. yeah, I can't yeah. imagine. Yeah. And I would have, I guess if a lot of people put out records and did a lot of that, I didn't have that much output. It, it was a weird time. Yeah, for sure. really weird. Well, you all mentioned the venues. So I know, Nelson, you've got a history with your brother. Smith's Old Bar. 30 years this month. That's neat, yeah. I think 25th of January will be the 30 years of Smith's Old Bar. I ran into Nelson in Atlanta, in Atlanta. was it 1993? Yeah. He yeah. was like, man. Brothers opening a club. No way. You got to fight. Yeah, we had to paint the thing and oh my gosh. get to put the, the new curtain in there. Put a bar. There wasn't a bar. It wasn't a back bar there in the main bar room. And man, it, we. Uh, my brother Dan was going through a bunch of pictures. I'll, I'll share them with you on a personal time. Yeah. Old pictures. And man, it's amazing. Everybody looks really young. And when we're painting the bar and saying this is one the lighting, the making sure the curtain worked because right. Dan wanted the curtain. And where else do you get a curtain call? It's at Smith's. Seriously, yeah. You know, it's one of the coolest unthought of points of how it's so cool. Most venues, people just kind of walk up and put their cigarette out and say, we're going to start now. You know, if you want it, you get a full pro curtain call. It doesn't matter who you are at Smith's. And they've remodeled the whole place and everything. So, yeah, that's that, that one is near and dear to all of our hearts. Yeah. Did you all have any idea what it was going to become? No, Dan, uh, my brother Dan was partners with the late Mike Reeves. We lost Mike in May of last year. And uh, they've actually named the, the room the Mike Reeves Music Room, hand-painted over when you walk up the steps. Uh, he, that, that was really what he envisioned. He had the best engineers, got, made sure he got the best PA and the best lights, and everything's been upgraded because now you've got LED lighting and all the you know the digital. I mean, it's amazing. He's kept up with the times, right. invested probably five, six, dropped five or six PAs in there over 30 years. But yeah, I think it's close to what Dan was envisioning and he's grown it out too. A lot of things go down on downstairs and they have music down there and all kinds of things. And there's the Atlanta room downstairs. That used to be a flower shop. They just knocked the wall out. So there's two stages in there. And, you know, they kind of got it down to a science where they'll get a new act in. And there's a lot of people you've heard of that might play the Atlanta room and have 10 people there then they'd sell that out with 70 people and kick them upstairs and then they got 200 people you know they they kind of got the flow down it's like it's like a promotion you know you you sort of have to qualify to get get, yeah yeah, and they know who's good and all all Um, the all the employees have notes right down to the barbacks this band sucked i loved them you know (laughs) every i mean it really goes back to read all that stuff and then we've played there hundreds of times yeah We've played there hundreds of times. That's so neat. And it's like home and anything we've played, we've debuted songs there. I think you mentioned positivity. To want to do that, you got to be an optimist somewhere, right? Yeah. What are, what are some of the other venues that you, you love playing around town? We used to play the Chameleon Club a lot back in the 90s. Yeah. Dark Horse. Yeah, Dark Horse downstairs was good. Eddie's Attic was awesome. Yeah, which kind of brings me to a topic of how, I mean, we spent a lot of years banging it out in bars with a full band and playing rock and loud. And what has kind of brought me 
back and lit a little fire under me personally as far as songwriting is that we've started playing these songwriter festivals next week we're going to the 30a songwriters festival which is great we've been playing one in opelika it's a great one and and going into listening rooms as opposed to loud bars where you need a drummer and all that that's really changed my perspective on writing because people are there and they're listening to you and they're listening to your lyrics and in addition to that, it's almost as as important as what you're saying between the songs as what you're playing. Yeah, they, that's what people want to... If they're going to see a songwriter festival, they want to see what's the song about. What, and then a lot of times when we do it, they'll, they'll pair Bradley up. And it might be not. it might not be somebody that we don't know. Somebody mm-hmm. like uh, Alice Peacock. She's from Cincinnati and or Nashville or whomever. Mm-hmm completely different we've been grouped with people that we know or people that went completely off the cuff unrehearsed but by the end of the thing a lot of times we're playing singing together single harmonies and there's interplay improvisation which is spur of the moment which that's what in my opinion people will be like that's why i'm paying whatever you're paying for a weekend pass because yeah. that's what they want to see. Because they right. like to get up close, obviously. Totally, yeah. Instead of, oh, it's such a big arena thing, and the light show is great, and all that. They want to see where the core of it is. And that's what I would want to see, you know. I mean, I went to the I went to the um, 38 Songwriters Festival for four years before I was ever involved in playing in it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I did I did. Yeah, we, well. did too. we would go there. You know, be, man, that sure would be cool to play there. And then Dave Franklin, a good friend of mine, he got a call and he goes, hey, Nelson, will you come play that thing at the beach with me? I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. You know what I mean? And then Bradley got in, and if we have other friends, we've met new people down there. Well, I love it. I was there last year for the first time. It was a totally different experience than a music festival. You know, yeah. it's just the cafes and, and the, the record store and yeah. the, yeah. the yeah. restaurants. It's it's just all the works They have workshops and yeah. stuff. You can go see people. It's fantastic. And you, what I love about it is that you can't lose. I mean, I've been to see people and gotten to the door and they're like, I'm sorry, they've started and there's a line out the door. And you're like, okay, well, who's playing nearby? And you go see somebody you've never heard of and think, mm. how in the world have I never heard of this person? You know? Yeah. That's it's like with Fulbright, right? Yeah, John Fulbright's one guy. He's from Oklahoma, and I'm, I can't say enough about him. He's a, a songwriter and a singer and a player. It's just unbelievable, and I'd never heard of him before. Yeah, it was earlier, or last, I could say earlier this year, but last year, Bradley was like, dude, I got you a ticket, this guy, John Fulbright. He goes, I bought you a ticket, and you're going to come, and you're going you, to come sit with us, and you got to see this guy. And I was blown away. Definitely trust his opinion. So I think you all know the context of – this podcast in terms of curiosity and the inspiration being around the show that was on the last few years called the Ted Lasso. Did you watch the show and this idea of curiosity, how much does that play into your songwriting? Well, as far as curiosity, I mean, as you go through life, I think if you're not, if you're not curious, you're not going to learn anything. And if you're, if you don't learn anything, you're never going to improve. I did watch the show, and my kids watched it, and my wife, and we all loved it. I think the biggest lesson from the show is that, I mean, like I said, I've been in and out of music a few times and because it comes and goes like a soccer team. Right, you know, right. You, you have your days, and you have your, you have your good days, and you have your bad days, but you got to just keep kicking it down the road. And that's the biggest lesson, I would say, from that show, and keep your head up, you know? Yeah, that's neat. Can you play a couple of tunes? All right. Uh, 
this song is called Atlanta, and um, I've I've typically written um, songs by myself. I've never had a whole lot of luck writing with other people, and over the past few years, I have met a group of people that I've been kind of doing some co-writes with, and I wrote this song with a guy named John Lawrence, and we were we traded ideas for songs that we thought were decent ideas, but we couldn't move forward. We're just stuck on them. And so he sent this over to me and, um, he had kind of a framework for it. And, and I, I thought it was really cool. And so I took it and changed the meaning just a little bit and, um, added a bridge to it. And so we've got this song it's called Atlanta and, um, we're going to play it for you. Thinking about you, wish you were around Can't pick you up, I'm in Atlanta now Woke up one morning, I was southbound I had to leave, I'm in Atlanta now I hope you know you always make me proud But everything ends
All right, we're going to play a song called Biloxi. And um, I was in, uh, I went to a, a friend of mine got married in Pascagoula, Mississippi years ago. And we stayed in the, uh, I think it was called the Isle of Palm. It was a one of those barge casinos um, down in Biloxi. And so we'd been, we'd been getting after it for a few days with the wedding party. And, and um, it was, I think it was Saturday after the wedding, we went back and it was probably 4.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. And, and I, I went to the restroom in this casino and, um, and this guy came up beside me and started telling me his life story. And he had just lost it. He said he'd lost his last dime um, at the, craps table or something and and he he said i I just don't know what i'm going to do i don't have any money for food or anything and and um so i wrote this song about him and and i was kind of at a crossroads in my life at the time and i i just started thinking about that guy a few weeks later and this song um, we were talking earlier about i think sometimes the best songs come out quickly and i I probably wrote this in i don't know 20 minutes or so and um uh, so this is called biloxi Dealer scoops all my winnings up I am broken Stare at the ground at all my cigarette butts Pretty good run, I tell myself, maybe next time. But the little voice in the back of my head knows that man just took my rent, my food, and my clothes. So take my drink and all of my doubts. I can hear the cameras follow me as I stumble out. Raise my eyes to the morning sky Tell the clouds as they slowly pass by I'm on my way On my way I'm on my way Classrooms in my grammar school. I held court in the playground and I act a fool, but everybody loved me. Everybody knew I was going places that never did think I'd end up in this parking lot. Spreading my arms to the morning sky, telling the clouds as they slowly pass by. I'm on
Tell me that in heaven there are no bills to pay Everything is yours, there's no money to be made And everybody loves you just as you are Be it a beggar or a banker or a movie star So I save all my effort, I will do as I please I think I'll hit the strip and beg from my knees And I'll be back tomorrow Can I say one more thing? You were asking how the South influenced uh, my music. I, I think every I think every song I've ever written is influenced by the South. It's all in there. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Curious Goldfish. Please follow and subscribe to the podcast and on social media. Also, tell your music-loving friends about us too. Until next time, stay curious. <laughs>